the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh! They did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it all in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is your weekend college basketball betting preview. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is BJ Cunningham. We have a lot to get to today. I will talk with a friend of the podcast, BJ Rains, covers Boise State at BJ Rains on Twitter. We'll talk Boise and the very exciting Mountain West, which could get up to, I don't know, five or six teams into the NCAA tournament. Should be an awesome conference tournament. We'll obviously have our Friday night six-pack, as always, with the guys from the three-man weave. BJ and myself will talk some Saturday spots we have circled. And we'll talk here with uh, Colin shortly, see if he can get a, a winner for the third straight week. He's been he's been red hot. What's going on, BJ? How are you? I'm good. Uh, it's crazy uh, midweek of college basketball, a ton of big-time teams going down. So it's going to be pretty crazy here going down the stretch, not only the Mountain West tournament, but a ton of different tournaments throughout college basketball. Yeah, a lot of teams have played their way like onto the bubble or you know kept their tournament hopes alive this week with huge wins against ranked teams let's go quickly here one thing that you've learned this week or a takeaway or a rant anything you want to cover yeah the Arkansas I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it with Colin but the Auburn Arkansas game was incredibly fascinating and I think it's one of those games that we need don't need to overreact uh, about Auburn they were obviously kind of trending towards one of these type of upset wins you know barely getting by Georgia but in that game they had 24 offensive rebounds against Arkansas. So just crazy. And they just couldn't make a shot. So uh, I would say not to panic about Auburn, but it's again, it's they're probably still the class of the SEC and probably still going to be a number one seed. But I was actually very encouraged, even in a loss, in a very, very difficult environment from from Auburn uh, on Tuesday. Horrible last shot by Auburn. I still think. Yeah, uh, I still have Kentucky slightly ahead of them. But yeah, I, they should be fine. But they bit worrying results on the road. Um Away from home, they've been dynamite at home. If they're undefeated against the spread at home, so um, they can they can be a little a bit erratic at times. But yeah, they're going to be in the mix for sure. Something that I'll take away: I think the biggest win of the week. Well, Oklahoma saved their season with a big win. SMU got a huge win against Houston. Um, so we'll see if that trend continues with these teams that you know almost need to win towards the end of the month. There's going to be a lot of teams. You'll see this every year that need to win. Let's keep this in mind that like but they'll play their way out off the bubble once the pressure mounts so you got to pick your spots carefully and my other big takeaway is i've, I've actually picked a couple winners this week so thank god um i was beginning to think i forgot how to do that avoiding the meltdown so let's hope that continues all right so now we're joined by someone that you all are familiar with mr wilson mr colin wilson uh who's coming in streaking hot wilson what are you doing Hi, ho, Tim. I'm just testing my maracas. Usually when I have mine tested, the doctor makes me turn my head and cough. Yeah, he had the SEC against the Big 12 across the board. I think they went 7-3. and three. Then he gave us Villanova last week. I'm happy that you made it. 
here this week. I was afraid that you were still hungover from the Arkansas win over Auburn, although I think you bet Auburn. I think I had faith in my hogs. I don't know if you, if you did, but huge win, eighth win in a row. First, how are you? Two sports in the last calendar year where you're claiming your hogs. I can't wait till baseball season starts. It's going to be your hogs going to Omaha. I can't wait. But no, I, I'm great. I, I'm glad that we got the win. Muscleman with his shirt off midcourt. Uh, what a fantastic scene. We haven't had anything like this in over 20 years. And and I admit, I bet Auburn, and I didn't think we had an answer for Walker Kessler. And once he fouled out and went out of the game in overtime, it was, you know, the Hogs got the victory there. But, uh, you know, great for Arkansas. And the same recipe as last year. Bring in a bunch of transfers, and then at the end of January, just catch fire. And here we're doing this all over again, and I expect this team to make a, a strong run coming up in March. The muscle man, man crosses back. Uh, I, I will tell you that they were my hogs. They will not be my hogs, most likely on Saturday. Roll Tide. So, what do you? Any plans for the Super Bowl? Watching it at home? Doing anything? Yeah, we got uh, the wife and I got a golf round in the morning. We'll get done by noon, and then after that, come back and uh, check all my prop bets, see if they've moved the right way. Uh, head off to a Super Bowl squares party here in Tulsa somewhere, and uh, probably duck out around the third quarter and finish the game at home. And you know, when you've got all this money and you got all these props in play, it's it's the last time we're going to see football until, you know, what, uh, August 28th, 29th, where, you know, my Twitter's on fire today because we released our college football power ratings and some people are not too happy with some of the numbers out there. But it's going to be a long time before we see football again. So I'm pretty jacked up about the whole Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, I hope Joe Burrow – I don't bet against Joe Burrow anymore. I think, Stuggy, I think you and I learned our lesson a long time ago. We're done betting against Joe Burrow. Make sure you check out uh, Action Network Podcast by the way, for a Super Bowl betting preview for myself and Chris Ray, I'm going to go over all of our favorite props, break down the game, before the game, after the game, everything you want to know. All right, well, the reason we bring you here each week, you have a, you're 2-0 so far, is uh, to give us, give the people a winner, something that you have your eyes on, obviously, before lines come out. What, uh, what are you bringing to this side of the fence this week, Mr. Wilson? Well, I think it's interesting that we talked about Auburn, and there are teams that are coming off bad losses that are going back home, and that's generally a good recipe for them to get back on track. Like Auburn... Texas Tech, uh, you know, those are teams that took a loss or coming back home and you expect them to do, uh, you know, at least cover the spread and give a max effort. But I'm actually going to go with a very what you would consider public square play. And, you know, this is something in basketball. You just have to, like, realize what the numbers are. And with Gonzaga, they are blowing everybody out of the water at home. It's it's disgusting. I mean, we're talking over 100 points against multiple opponents. They are a different animal at home. Now they're playing a St. Mary's team. We think it's going to be anywhere from a 14 to 17 point spread. But I think Santa Clara really exposed St. Mary's when it comes to a pace perspective. St. Mary's one of the slowest offenses in the nation. Santa Clara just beat St. Mary's and they have a top 25 tempo. You go look at <laughs> Gonzaga. What second in the nation in tempo right now? Uh, it is go, go, go. Yeah, just go, go, go. And at home, they're just a different animal. I don't think St. Mary's can keep up. This is one of the few games in the West Coast Conference where, you know, Gonzaga is going to make a highlight reel in Sports Center and catch voters' attention. And I don't think they need it. They're a guaranteed one seed. Uh, but there's just a lot of things in this matchup that are just, you know, and I know that as we're recording this, the St. Mary's is going to play tonight. But this game is – there's just going to be real problems when you look at the matchup perspective, especially what Gonzaga does from a defensive perspective, number one in the nation, an effective field goal percentage. But to me, it's the tempo. I think Santa Clara and the speed that they played in upset St. Mary's, this is going to be a very long night. I wouldn't be surprised if Gonzaga won by 30. I think the number is going to open 14s per Kimpom, probably go up to 17, 
probably going to get all that steam, but I think it's just one of those cases where you're just going to lay it, lay it when you first see the number come out and just watch. Yeah. Gonzaga's tempo numbers will be even faster if they weren't up by like 30 to 40, a lot of these games. And then, you know, the game kind of dies in the last five to seven minutes. All right. So there you have it. Looking, I can't question. I mean, Gonzaga, by the way, the past 15 years, top five uh, against the spread at home, you would think like, Oh, their numbers are always inflated, but they, they are one of the five most profitable teams to back in conference play at home over the past 15 years. All right, there you have it. Colin going out on a limb and taking Gonzaga as a favorite, um, looking to move to 3-0. and Thanks for joining us, brother. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for peeking over the fence. We'll catch up with you next week. Good luck on your Super Bowl bets, guys. See you soon. Woo, pig suey. So let's move on to Saturday's card, as we always do. So many games, so little time. Let's look at the Saturday slate. We'll start off with a buy low. What do you got, BJ? I'm going to go USC. They lost to Arizona last Saturday uh, by nine, even though they were actually leading late in the, in the second half and almost ended up not covering, which would have been an absolute disaster. They had a makeup game against Pacific uh, on Tuesday where they basically snoozed through the whole first half and was actually down uh, in, by double digits in the second half and able, was able to come back and win by six. The main reason for that is because Isaiah Mobley uh, got a broken nose at late in that Arizona game and then obviously missed Tuesday against Pacific. It sounds like he's day-to-day right now. If he's back, he's obviously, you know, vitally important to their offense because he's pretty much their best player. They're going to be playing on defense too. Defense yeah, exactly. Also. Yep. Huge game for them at home against their inner city rival UCLA late night, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern time. UCLA has somewhat struggled defending down low uh, during conference play. They're seventh uh, in two-point field goal percentage and around middle of the pack and field goal percentage allowed at the rim. On the flip side, UCLA is getting basically nothing at the rim against USC, who's the number one team in college basketball in field goal percentage allowed at the rim and fourth in two-point field goal percentage. USC is dead last in the Pac-12 right now in three-point field goal percentage allowed. I don't expect that to continue given the length that they have in their backcourt, and they're also number one average size uh, team in college basketball. UCLA surprisingly also shooting under 30% from behind the arc in conference play. Uh, And I've also, I've mentioned in the past, but UCLA bottom 15% of college basketball and transition defense, but are very good in the half court. USC does spend a decent amount of time in transition. So I think this is a pretty good matchup for them at home. Ken Palm has this at UCLA minus three. If Mobley's in there, I'd highly doubt that we're going to get USC plus three, but I do think USC uh, anything plus money is is a good bet for the Trojans. Yeah, I wonder if I don't know if Kempom if if it's just a a formula that he uses for home court. I don't. I, I I believe so. I don't think that. I don't. I believe it's probably just an algorithm on the back end. And like USC's home court, he has like three and a half points. But like home court advantage here might be less because obviously it's right. USC versus UCLA. But yeah, the the key is Mobley. Um, one thing to keep, I, I don't know, I'm interested to see if this ends up going anywhere, but Harrison Hornery, who you've probably never heard of unless you watch the Pacific game, I think he made like one shot on the year. He came in and made like four threes. He's a six nine freshman uh, out of matter day. I, maybe he can give them some minutes and hit some threes. Team that doesn't really shoot a lot, but uh, I maybe he's, uh, you know, he's not going to get big minutes at all. But um, yeah, Moby's obviously the key there. Don't mind the look. Uh, my buy low, I'm going to go with Furman against chattanooga my mocks i love the mocks i think they're going to win the socon and be feisty in the tournament i don't know if DeSouza is going to play their big man which is huge against firm and firm is one of the smallest teams in the country can get kind of bodied inside so the kansas transfer has missed the past three games undisclosed reason 
But I think it's a really good spot to buy low on Furman. They've lost two straight against inferior competition. They now get Chattanooga at home. And Chattanooga's been a little more vulnerable on the road. And Furman has revenge from a two-point loss at Chattanooga earlier this year. When Sousa did play, for what it's worth. And Chattanooga's three-point defense, I think, has been pretty lucky for the season. They've allowed the 10th highest rate of unguarded jumpers in the half court, about 58% per synergy. Yet opponents have only scored 0.831 points per possession on those jumpers. That's the ninth lowest. So they're allowing the 10th most frequent unguarded jumpers, and teams are scoring at the ninth lowest rate. So, I mean, you're getting a high frequency of open jumpers and teams are missing them. It's one of the reasons shot quality has the mocks with four fewer projected wins than they have. For what it's worth, Furman, they have with two additional projected wins. So they've been a bit unlucky. Regression Monster could hit hard here because you're playing a Furman team full of shooters that shoots threes at the third highest clip in the nation. So revenge spot here for Furman. I'd like to get them like minus four or lower, um, which I think good chance we get. Uh, so off two losses with revenge here. Some potential regression coming from Chattanooga. I think it's a good spot. Chattanooga wins this game. They basically win the regular season too. Like they're, they are two games ahead of Furman right now and they've already beat them. They win this. They basically go up four games with like four to go. Huge game for Furman. Very experienced team. I think they bounce back here. All right, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Sell high. What do you got circled here? I'm going to sell high on Murray State. They've cracked the top 25 uh, this week. They have a 12 game win streak in conference play, but you know, they're, I think they're due for a little bit of regression. Uh, they are winning these games and basically not ways you maybe would think of for a mid-major team like Murray State, who in the past just drills, you know, a ton of threes. They're doing it by crashing the offensive glass. A little over 44% of their shots are coming at the rim. And then on the flip side, 40% of their shots behind the arc. So they're essentially doing what you're supposed to do in half-court offense, which is rely on the two most efficient shots. Well, the shots at the rim aren't really going to work because they're playing against Moorhead State, who's 11-1 and in conference play with their only loss coming to Murray State on the road, where they actually were tied with about 10 minutes left to go and then uh, collapsed and ended up not covering a 10-point spread. Murray State plays Tennessee State on the road. They're 14.5-point favorites on Thursday night, so probably not going to – probably should just cruise by them and, the, you know, this line – We want them to roll. State. I have this circle, yep. too. We want them to roll tonight. want them to roll. Uh, Moorhead State has Belmont tonight. Want them to get crushed. Uh, I want them to get crushed uh, so we can get a potentially good number here. Uh, Murray State is 14th in the country, uh, allowing around 29% from three and only 26% in conference play. Those numbers are not sustainable whatsoever. So Kent Baum has that Murray State minus five. I'd love Moorhead State at plus five, but I'll probably end up playing them down to plus four. And let's hope that uh, we can get the best possible number from the Thursday uh, outcomes. Yeah, I have this circle too. Like I said, root for Belmont um, to roll and for Mary to roll. You, you hear something that betters will say, which has some merit, and I'll explain why you say are these these teams that are mid-majors that get ranked in the top 25 for the first time fade them. Um, it's, some, it's You hear in college football too. And it, it's true. Historically, it's been a pretty good bet. Over the past three weeks, we've seen it happen three times. We had St. Mary's get into the top 25 and lose. Davidson get into the top 25 and lose. Loyola Chicago get into the top 25 and lose. Why? Like, are, are they like, oh, we're, in, we're 24th. We're going to lose. No, it's basically, we're, think about it. It's probably a signal that you're at the peak of the market value, right? Like they're, you're, this is, this, this team's now top 20 in the nation or mid-major. It means they're probably on a huge run. And the only way for them to go is down. Generally speaking, in that scenario, you're selling high. Uh, and I think this is a good spot to sell high on Mary State, especially if Moorhead is coming off a loss to Belmont. 
narrative changes a little bit if Moorhead wins that game against Belmont. Like, is there a, a little letdown there? But they have revenge, and it'll be a huge game for them, double bye and, and, and regular season conference standings. Broom is excellent inside. Moorhead stayed smothering defense on the perimeter. Um, uh, so, yeah, I like them at home. I think that they're, uh, they're live dogs, and if uh, they lose tonight, Mary wins. The larger margin, the better. Um, I have this spot circled as well. For my sell high, um, I, I mentioned, I hinted at this earlier. I mean, I got to probably sell Arkansas high against Alabama. Look, they've, Arkansas, come, I don't, there's, might still be celebrating. Um, that win over Auburn, huge win. Their first win over a number one team in 40 years. But here's the thing, and they've won eight in a row. We're getting close probably to their peak market value. First team in 40 years also, UCLA did it early 80s, to start 0-3 in conference and then win eight straight. And if you look, the Auburn win is super impressive in a great slam dunk home run spot. But their other seven games were against meh. Um, you know, they, they beat a, a middling LSU team, a reeling LSU team without Pinson. The rest of their, their games, it's not like they had a re- really impressive win. So I think that you're probably going to get them overvalued here, hung over, let down against Alabama. Uh, should come in a little fresher at an easy win over Ole Miss. And I think that the biggest thing, a really important thing, is Alabama finally saw the ball go in. They shot three of 30 from three against Kentucky. They went 14 of 22 against Ole Miss. They're still only shooting 29% from beyond the Arkin League play. And that's huge because they shoot threes at such a high rate, top 20 in the nation. I think there's some regression coming, more positive regression coming for Alabama. So I think you see a couple more gaudy shooting performances the rest of the way in SEC play. I think one of them could be at home on Saturday. Arkansas is not going to like crush you with bigs inside where Alabama can be a bit vulnerable. So I think it's a good spot to get Alabama. I'll also mention the ugliest one on the board. It sucks. It's going to hurt Wyoming who's just won an incredible four games in eight days against four potential tournament teams, like two in overtime, two others that went, all four went right down to the wire. That that's in this, that stretch, that eight day stretch came a couple days after they went to more altitude and they play in altitude in air force and won at the buzzer in that game. I mean, this team has to be exhausted. They mentally, physically, Linda, their head coach has talked about it. So they could, they're going to say that their state is dreadful. They haven't won a game in conference. Their only win in 2022 is against Bethesda college, but Wyoming, it's hard to just manufacture this many good games in a row. They could come out really sleepy. And the other thing I really like about this is Linder's talked about the fatigue. So if they're up like comfortably, I can't imagine that he pushes the starters at all, right? Like, all right, let's get rest. We just need the win. That's it. So they, they potentially might pull their starters a lot sooner than usual, which could open up the back door if needed. So super ugly, hold your nose one, but might be on uh, San Jose State, depending on the number. Hopefully maybe get like 15, 16. And then hope Wyoming comes out flat, you know, extends midway through the second half, gets a comfortable lead, pulls their starters, ends up winning by like 10 to 12. Home dog, what do you got circled? This is going to be a little ugly and probably painful. Uh, I have Butler circled at home against Marquette on Saturday. Butler's lost three straight games to Xavier St. John's and Creighton by a combined seven points. Throughout much of the season, obviously, Butler's dealt with a ton of injuries. They've gone through some rough patches, but it seems – they're starting to kind of turn a corner now that everybody's healthy and their form has been a little bit better. We saw some of Marquette's shooting aggression come against UConn on Tuesday. They only shot 40% from the field when their effective field goal percentage in conference play is around 53%. Uh, and Marquette is basically all just shooting or bust. They're the worst offensive rebounding team and the worst free throw rate team in the Big East. And this will also be their fourth road game of their last five games. Marquette, I, we've already talked about it a ton about their shooting aggression, 39% from three-point range in conference play, that's not sustainable. Now they have to take on the number one three-point 
Field goal defense in the Big East. Butler's only Butler's actually allowing under 30% in conference play. So I think this is a decent spot for Butler to potentially pick off Marquette and get some of that shooting aggression come to fruition. So Ken Palm has a Marquette minus six. Uh, I'd obviously love Butler at that, but I'll play uh, the Bulldogs down to uh, four and a half or better. Yeah, my home dog, well, I went to San Jose State, but that's mainly a sell of uh, Wyoming and fading the spot. But my home dog you already talked about was Moorhead State. It's kind of a sell of of Mary, but it's also a play on Warren State, who I think is an excellent mid-major team. So already covered that one. So let's uh, hit a couple others here and go rapid fire rundown. What else you got circled? Uh, I got Indiana State circled on Saturday. They're playing Illinois State. I think, you know, obviously Indiana State's playing Evansville uh, again tonight. Uh, I think we've reached pretty much the bottom of the market on Indiana State. They've dealt with a ton of injuries throughout the season and going on going on 17 from three and losing. To I was just, I was just about to, to say that, but that game against Evansville, the funniest, maybe my jaw hit the floor when I saw this, but neither team had an offensive rebound in the game. And I yeah, think that's first the time, first, first time in college basketball history. Yeah. Since they started tracking offensive rebounds, that's insane. Yeah. So shooting aggression has got to come now that they have everybody healthy and for Indiana state, they cannot continue to shoot the ball this bad. And they're going to get some of that regression back. And what's funny about them is they're actually fifth in the country in points per possession in transition offense, which I was shocked when I saw that while Illinois state is third to last in the conference in defensive transition, Indiana state also takes the highest percentage of three pointers in the MVC, Illinois state allowing the third highest three point percentage in conference Overall, this Indiana State team is way better than two and nine in conference play. And Ken Palm has us at Indiana State minus one at home against a pretty bad Illinois State team. So I like the Sycamores uh, at home. Let's hope they get some of that aggression back and I'll play it up to uh, anything minus three and a half. Yeah, I, I like this one as well. I think that uh, Illinois State who lost side Chapman is no good. And they, I mean, they had that, they've had a couple of junk covers and they, they just beat Valpo in overtime. But I think it's a good spot for Indiana State. Unless that, you know, they lose again to Evansville tonight and it just spirals. But uh, yeah, they're much better than they're playing. Finally have some roster continuity and some health. So I think they might be a good team to back as long as it's not a disaster tonight. Let's go. I'm going to mention the luck box of Providence, who's like 9-0 and in games decided by five or less. You're going to get a nice number here with DePaul on the road. DePaul's actually playing pretty good. I mean, they won at Xavier they had a huge run in the second half to beat Georgetown, and they were down Johnson and Freeman Liberty. And so they're starting to play better without those guys. I think there's a good chance that Freeman Liberty might be back, and that'd be huge. And if he does get announced in, the line will come down. He tweeted the other day, very soon, and he's their best player. Providence, who's been off since Sunday, they played DePaul, and then they're home against Nova on Tuesday in an absolutely enormous game in the Big East. I mean, Providence wins that game. I mean, they're they're already two games ahead of Villanova right now in the loss column. Um, that's just a huge game. So little look ahead here for Providence. Providence obviously been one of the luckiest teams in the country, no matter what metric you look at. Really tough team, well coached, and I mean they're still they're still shooting over their heads compared to if you look at the quality of their shots. But they find ways to win. You got to give them credit for that. But I'm not worried about that here. Have to cover a number like you know maybe this opens at like eight, nine, ten depending on the, how the market assumes health. Freeman Liberty comes in, that line will come down. Um, the market does hate Providence, so we'll see where this opens at. But I did have them circled. Uh, similar spot for Georgia Tech, getting maybe a similar number. It's hard for Virginia. to They play so slow. It's also not a – this is not a great zone team because they can't shoot and their spacing is really bad, like 344th per shot quality, which is not good against the zone. 
coming off a huge win against Duke. Georgia Tech, meanwhile, very inefficient offense. It's like DeVoe and a bunch of mid-range. That's where they live, which is not great. But that's where Virginia forces you to live. And the things that Georgia Tech doesn't do well, like you can't do them against Virginia anyway. And I just don't think it's, I, I don't think it's the worst matchup. It's a pretty good spot to back the Yellow Jackets, so we might get an inflated number after Virginia beat Duke. Anything else on your radar? Yeah, I like Texas Tech at home uh, against TCU. Obviously, a get-right spot for Texas Tech after losing Oklahoma on the road on Wednesday. One of the best home court advantages in college basketball, and they've just been dominating everybody at home this season. Only one team, and it was Kansas has lost by less than 10 points in Lubbock this year. TCU is the luckiest team in the Big 12 per shot quality. They have about four, uh, yeah, about three or four more wins than uh, they probably should. Uh, this game is probably going to be played in the half court, which is going to greatly favor Texas Tech. TCU second to last in the Big 12 in points per possession and half court offense, while Tech is 11th in college basketball and half court defense. The turnover battle is also going to be really key. TCU turns the ball over at the highest rate in the Big 12 and has one of the lowest turnover percentages on defense while Tech hardly turns the ball over. The only way I can see TCU actually staying in this game is if they just completely dominate the offensive glass. They do have the best offensive rebounding percentage in the Big 12 while Tech is pretty average, but TCU is also shooting 63% from the free throw line in conference play. So uh tech is hardly you know they are sending people to the line at a fairly high rate but it's probably not going to hurt them ken palm has that texas tech minus 10 i'd obviously you know would love it at that it's probably going to tick up to about you know minus 12 minus 12 and a half so minus 12 and a half would probably be uh the peak for me but i do like the red raiders at home to blow out tcu yeah the defense uh should smother in a decent back bounce back spot uh georgia state regression tour Positive regression tour, luck tour. I think I will be on them again. The line will move. They will steam at App State, some revenge as well. That's another one I'd circled. Kentucky might get an inflated number with them at home against a desperate Florida team who has Castleton back. So, and Kentucky's kind of been sleeping in these like these spots a bit at home lately. Like they did, they'll have like smash spots, and then you know they'll come and sleep against Vandy, sleep against Mississippi State. Rupp is like not the craziest home court advantage. I mean, trust me, I live right down the street from it. It's a big arena. Um, you might get an inflated number. Kentucky, huge game, Tennessee on Tuesday. So desperate Florida team, you, maybe you're getting – can you get like 13-14 here? That's where Ken Palm projects it. Man, I'd love to get that. Uh, anything else for you? Uh, yeah, real quick, Tulsa at home uh, against Cincinnati, 1-10 in AAC play. Uh, but they've only uh, – in those 10 losses, they've only lost by more than 10 once or twice. And in their five home losses, they've lost by a combined 16 points. So it's a team that's due for a ton of positive regression, playing a Cincinnati team that is punching a little above its weight, not a very good offense. Uh, Surprisingly, Tulsa, very good in transition defense, which that's where Cincinnati basically lives and is most efficient. Cincinnati, very bad uh, in terms of half-court offense. So uh, Ken Palm, as I said, Cincinnati minus four. Uh, I think this is a good spot for Tulsa. I mean, we Honestly, we probably just reached the bottom of the market for Tulsa since they're one and ten in conference play. So would love Tulsa at plus four, but you know, I've obviously played them down to you know plus three, plus two and a half, somewhere in there. All right. There you have it. Good stuff. All right. Let's move on to Friday night. We'll bring in the guys from the three-man weave to our Friday six pack. We've been middling so far. We're nine and nine through three weeks. Let's get right to it. Six guys, six picks. It's a college hoops weekend six pack. For my bet this Friday, fellas, I'm going with the under in UConn and Xavier. 
That's right. These two teams have not played yet this year. I, I was actually initially thought this was a rematch and I had to do my research, found that, nope, they have not. They're going to play twice in the next week. Both these teams have excellent interior defenses. I think that's the big story here, especially on the Xavier side. Getting Jack Nunji in the lineup has been massive. And with UConn's offense, if you can sort of prevent Sonogo from scoring one-on-one, it really short circuits them because they want to go to him. They want to get easy buckets. Then they force you to double. They force rotations. That's how UConn scores. Uh, once that ball is zipping around, following some Sonogo early efficiency, that's it. I, I think Nunji's going to be a big part of neutralizing this. I wish Deontay Miles was playing too, but unfortunately he has not been in the lineup recently. On the other side though, UConn's interior defense rocks too. Fifth nationally in two-point percentage, third in block rate. They're going to take away the interior from Xavier. I think that's that's a very positive indicator. And UConn's playing a lot slower this year, uh, at least in conference play. They're uh, almost a full second longer average possession length than they were in non-conference. So I think that is a, a key indicator for some slower games. Their last two were scoring bonanzas just because of efficiency. But I think we see a little bit regression downwards towards the mean in terms of that efficiency. These two Big East, new Big East rivals, they only played twice ever. There's a fun little historical nugget. Um, but I think this, these new rivals are going to have a low scoring game. I'm seeing it at 140 on the early opener. I would take this down to 136. Boo points. Let's go under. Love it, Jim. Well, in this case, I, uh, I like points. I'm going to need all the points that Vegas and the odds makers are offering me. I'm looking at Nevada plus 12 and a half. I take this down to plus 11. And so, yes, you're hearing Nevada plus 11. Who the hell are they playing? Well, they're playing Utah State. Kind of Jim, who's been nothing short of magnificent lately. Nevada, on the other hand, has been terrible. Uh, this is a vintage Matt trying to catch a falling knife, but I think I have a catcher in the rye in Grant Sherfield, Kai, with his second game back, return last game. Played a full 35 minutes, struggled a little bit, but looked mostly healthy out there. The defense was a pretty big question mark as they are without Warren Washington up front. But Utah State's in a tough schedule spot coming off the Wyoming game, and they could be without Sean Bairstow, who's been their third leading scorer, missed last game with a non-COVID illness. So I like fading a team, even though they're at altitude with only six and a half guys in their rotation. Again, catching a Nevada team that I think is grossly underpriced right now because Sherfield's been out during this horrible stretch. I mean, for goodness sake, they played 11 days ago and the spread was minus one and a half. Now it's a 12 point, 13 point swing in the other direction. Um, just from a pure handicapping lens, uh, that can't be possible. So a uh, famous last words, taking Nevada plus 12 and a half down to plus 11. Yeah, guys, my best bet is going to be Sienna plus eight, plus nine, plus 10, whatever you see out there. It's a good bet. It's a major rivalry here. Sienna's hosting Iona. So, you know, Sienna is going to be a motivated home dog in this game. There's no love loss between these two schools. They hate each other, but the Saints have also been playing pretty good basketball lately, four and one against the spread their last five games. It's true. Iona dominated game one in this matchup. Is it repeatable? Maybe, but both teams had advantages on the offensive end. Sienna was good at getting on the glass as well as Iona. The key for the Saints in this game is handling the ball. 18 turnovers in game one. Cannot repeat that performance. Also banking on Sienna, slowing things down. They've been playing a lot slower recently, limiting possessions. That's always good when going against Iona. I like the Saints here, plus eight, plus nine, plus 10, whatever you can find it at. Good stuff there from Jim, Matt, and Kai. Jim going with UConn Xavier under, Matt going with Nevada, and Kai going with Sienna. BJ, where are you going Friday? I'm going to go St. Bonaventure, plus six and a half on the road at St. Louis. Uh, the Bonnies have had a really disappointing season. And, you know, based on the this current line, I think it's a little tad too high. And I think we really just hit the peak for the market on St. Louis. 
St. Bonaventure, heavy ball screen offense. They do it very successfully. Top 20% of college basketball in points per possession, while St. Louis not that great in ball screen defense. Actually, they're 10th in the A-10 in that category. Bonnies also get to the free throw line at the third highest rate in the conference, while St. Louis allows the second highest free throw rate in the A-10. The problem that St. Bonaventure has ran into is they face teams that shoot three-pointers at a high rate, and they've just been hitting them against them at a crazy percentage. They're allowing close to 35% from behind the arc in conference play. And if you look back through all of their losses, five of their seven losses have come when teams shoot over 35% from behind the arc against them. Well, St. Louis is not really that type of team. In fact, 44% of their field goal attempts come at the rim, and they have the lowest three-point rate in the A-10. So I think it's a pretty good spot for the Bonnies, a good sell high type situation for St. Louis. So St. Bonaventure plus six and a half for me. Ballsy, my friend. The Bonnies have burned me a lot this year. Uh, I'm going to go with Kent State, uh, I think plus three and a half, plus four. At Akron, Akron here. This is a big game in the max standings. Like, I mean, Akron sitting at nine and three. First place leaders at 11 and two. Akron sitting at nine and three. Kent State sitting at nine and four. And Kent State has Toledo and Ohio on deck. Akron has revenge here. They are at home. This game's going to be a grind. Akron, one of the slowest teams in the country, 344th in adjusted tempo. So any points you can get, I think, are premium. And I think Akron's a house of cards. They've won seven of eight. I'm going to go through their results. They beat Western Michigan at home. Western Michigan's one of the worst teams in the country. They won by one. They were down by 12 with six to go. Next up, they smashed Bowling Green when uh, Trimble made like 11 threes. If that happens, they're going to win tomorrow. Their next game at home, they played Eastern Michigan without Monty Scott and Noah Farrakhan. Eastern Michigan is bad. Without them, too, they are nothing. Akron won 46-44. to This is at home. Won by two. The next game at Central Michigan, horrible team. They won 60-56. to Then they lost to Toledo. It's okay. Next game at home, they played Miami of Ohio. They won 66-55. Miami of Ohio is playing without Delonte Brown. Miami of Ohio without Delonte Brown is in free fall. What do they do the next game? They beat Miami of Ohio again without Delonte Brown. And then last game, they played Northern Illinois, who's, again, one of the worst teams in the country, and they won by six. So this team is skating by, and by the, they're, and they're playing teams that are missing key players. I think they're overinflated in some of the advanced metrics. And Kent State is a team that I love this year. I thought that they were going to come together by the end of the year. It's a team I wanted to back. I thought last year with Danny Pippen, who was excellent, there was just locker room issues. This team's finally coming together. They can't really shoot, but which is uh, – problem at times but they match up well here they can battle inside they you know are, are gonna get on the offensive glass it's a team i like i think it's gonna battle here low scoring game i kind of like the under as well and they might have some pot i don't think they're this bad of a shooting team not a great shooting team but um yeah i think akron's the house of cards and kent state is gonna start to make a move here so give me the golden flashes all right so that means it's time for us to pick the double and the first double we had of this podcast this year was on nevada against Fresno, and they actually came through. I'm leaning that way. I mean, I think it is a huge overreaction. Not a great spot for Utah State, who also has San Diego State on deck. Nevada revenge here. Like, they lost by 30 to Utah State when they met at home. You have Churfield back, easy backdoor chance here. Could have shorthanded Utah State. I, I, I'm leaning Nevada. I don't know if I trust Sienna. UConn, Xavier under. I can see that, too, with the – with the and, man, Xavier, they fade, they're another late-season fade down here. I could see that because the interior defense on you know, on both ends. Uh, I'm leaning Nevada, but I'm not 100% sold on it. Where? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'll go with Nevada as well. My old good friend Steve Alford. Uh, it again, if, if Barrasso doesn't play, then it, obviously that hurts Utah State a ton. 
yeah, we, we've, we've obviously hit on them once, but yeah, this is a line. I think I agree with you. All right, we're back to Nevada. Um, hopefully they can bring it home for us. Uh, before we get out of here, let's uh, talk with uh, BJ Reigns. We talked earlier today about Boise and the Mountain West. From the Southern to the Summit League, the MEAC and the Missouri Valley, there are over 350 Division I programs. So let's get acquainted. This is Conference Confidential. Friend of mine, friend of the pod, if you listened in recent years, you can find him on Twitter at BJ Reigns. Right now, I think on Bracket Matrix, they have uh, four teams from the Mountain West projected in, and then you got Utah State and Fresno or, you know, right outside the bubble. Uh, so I can't wait to talk Mountain West. It's a really exciting night in and night out. What's going on, BJ? Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, man. Appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, it's great with this new TV deal they got. It seems like every night there's a – Fun Mountain West game to stay up late for and watch. It's uh, it's a crazy year for the conference. My nine years, it's uh, by far the most competitive top to bottom that I've seen in my nine years. And uh, yeah, man, always listen to the pods. Cool to be a guest, man. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, let's talk some of these teams. You know, kind of like the top, the top five. I mean, maybe we'll focus on the top four. I mean, Fresno is a really interesting team with a you know maybe the best player yeah. in the conference. And you know, Utah State's been banged up, but they're never an easy out. But let's start with Boise, projected as an eight seed right now. This team is low. I love how they play defense. They're long everywhere. They can switch everything, which is one of the things that I really like about them. So they're a very versatile team. So let's, you know, let's talk ceiling of Boise. And then, you know, you can talk about anything you like and then don't like about this team. But say they end up in that eight slot. Do they have the potential to knock off a one? Is that the, you know, on their best night? Can they knock off a one? What is the ceiling for this team? What do you really like about them? And what do you think uh, could trouble them in the tournament? Well, the first thing they would have to do is beat the nine, which they've never won a game in the tournament before. They're 0-7 all time. So that would be Don't history. get ahead of myself here. That would okay. be uh, history in itself if they could win. A, they just want to win. First of all, they just want to get in. They haven't been yep. in since 2015. And so that's been a bugaboo with some late season collapses and things. And so you don't get, don't think the fans are sitting pretty with this. They're happy about it in Boise, but they know they've seen this story before where they get off to a hot start and then kind of fade down the stretch a little bit. This team does seem different because of the defense. And you mentioned that, but yeah, I think, I mean, with the right matchup, who knows? I mean, everybody out here is talking about the potential Leon Rice, Mark Few matchup. You know, Leon Rice was a longtime assistant. That probably wouldn't be the best number one for them to have to face in the second round. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they guard, man. They, they really do guard and you've seen some of the scores you know they have trouble scoring at times but I mean they, they can win a game 42 uh, 37 against San Diego State I mean they can grind it out and they the defense and in particular the rebounding I mean they rank number four in the country I think in defensive rebounding they don't give up many second chance points at all they clean up the glass they limit teams I think they're top 25 in like percentage of uh, shots from three-point range they're uh, pretty good. I still think top 25 or close to it in terms of uh, two-point defense, so they don't give up a lot of easy buckets, you know, around the basket. Um, they just play really good defense, and they're okay grinding out low-scoring games and winning uh, games in uh, different ways. And so, um, you know, Leon Rice, previous teams would score in the 70s and 80s, but they're perfectly fine, you know, like they beat Wyoming the first time 65-62. They beat Utah State 62-59. Uh, they're totally fine winning some of these lower-scoring games and scoring in the mid-60s. And uh, um, that would be why I think they are a little dangerous, just because they have a lot of veterans too. I mean, you got to talk about four yeah. senior, four seniors in the starting lineup. Uh, I think their Ken Palm has them like top twenty in experience or something, and their size too. Like you said, I mean, when you got a six eight point guard, uh, I think they're four of their five starters are six seven or taller. I mean, they can match up on the wing with with anybody and. 
And um, they've got, you know, the high-end talent like an ACOT, and they've got the uh, freshman in Degenhart that's played really well. And so, yeah, I think it's an exciting time here in Boise, but I think uh, these next, you know, three, four, five games are going to say a lot about uh, their potential this year. The defense can really match up with anyone. Like, they, they are very versatile on that end, very athletic. Like, it's like a high-major defense. I think that they're seventh in Ken Palm and adjusted defensive efficiency. The offense is where the problems are shooting. Like if they ran into like a zone and their free throws would scare me too, but yeah, yeah. just a yeah. really off shooting night, but they're, I think almost dead last in the nation and free throw shooting. Um, so keep that in mind. If like you're wanting to bet Boise, they're not going to be, and they have a conference is tough, but they got, let's see, air force, you know, uh, which on the road, on the road, yeah. I mean, Utah's on Utah the road, lost, lost at Air Force. Uh, yeah, they got and then free throws late, it could swing a cover. Oh, so yeah. just keep that no, in mind. I mean, they, they lost uh, to St. Louis, uh, who's now top 50 at Ken Palm. They lost to them in overtime about two months ago because they went 12 of 26 from the foul line. I and mean, they missed 14 free throws and lost in overtime. So their 14-game winning streak would have been at least 15 if they hadn't done that. So, yeah, the free throw shooting is a huge, huge concern. Depth also a concern. They only play about seven guys. And yeah. um, you, you get a guy in foul trouble or injured. You know, they're one, uh, you know, bad ankle sprain away from being in a lot of trouble here. But they got the clutch factor. Marcus Shaver Jr., the Portland transfers, come over and hit three, you know, game-winning shots in the last second, in the final seconds. And as I mentioned, a Cots an Arizona transfer who's, uh, you know, a five-star guy coming out of high school. And, um, you know, Abu Kijab, the Oregon transfer. I mean, they yeah. just put together a, a very veteran, talented lineup of guys that maybe didn't get the opportunity elsewhere. Even Armouche, the big guy, was uh, East Tennessee State transfer. So they've put this roster together with veteran guys and guys that uh, are finally getting bigger roles than they had at their previous places. And, uh, yeah, it's been impressive to watch. And, um, like I said, fans in Boise are a little nervous just about how it's going to finish up here. But I do think because of the defense, because five of their final eight games are at home, um, you know, the schedule sets up nicely. They've already had to go play all the tough places uh, in the league for the most part. I think that um, they are sitting pretty. And like I said, the one seed, I mean, that Boise State fans would love to have to have that scenario pop up. They just want to get in and win that first game. And uh, maybe if they could get to the 7-10 range, in one of those seeds, have a better chance against a two in the second round. Maybe would would be a path for them that looks a little better. But you know, very good Mountain West this year. Maybe one of the best ever. And they're sitting there at nine and one. So that certainly says something about what they've been able to do. We mentioned Ken Palm a couple of times. Six Mountain West teams in the top fifty, including Utah State, who's somehow thirty first. Um, fifteen and like ten. 15 yeah, I don't. 10. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't understand that. that one. But I, Nate, I mean, Ken Palm doesn't even take like injuries into account. They've had Brock Miller hurt, a couple of their guards hurt. But, um, yeah, they're 31st. Boise's 29th in the lead. I mean, you start, you Fresno's 45th. San Diego State, the problem with San Diego State is their offense. Um, yeah. They're n- number one in adjusted defense in the nation per Kempom. They're 237th on offense. And if Bradley's not making shots, it's Dude, the I tough had a jumpers. Their, their la- offense can go. And- so I had a buddy last night, had an 18 parlay. Little twenty-five dollars to win like twenty-three hundred, and all he needed was uh, San Jose State plus sixteen and a half, and we were sweating that thing out at like midnight I last night, and uh, they 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 covered. He won. He won the bet. And, the dumbest 18 parlay of all time, but it paid off for him. So I watched that San Diego State game, and yeah, they were even struggling with San Jose at times. And so, yeah, you're right. Bradley's a great offensive player, but they just don't have much there. And that's always kind of been their story with San Diego State. But I think it's yeah. even more, it's even worse this year where they're just so defensive oriented and they just have trouble, you know, scoring at times. I was down there at uh, Viejas when they played Boise State, and they literally didn't score a point in the second half for like 10 minutes. And they had like three droughts of five minutes where they didn't score. I mean, they scored 37 points. It just seems crazy to think about. And that's just who they are this year. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sold on them, to be honest. I'm not a huge San Diego State fan. I, I, don't, I wouldn't rank them, uh, you know, in terms of like teams that have a chance 
moving forward, I would have them at least third, maybe fourth in terms of the Mountain West. So I'll be curious to see how they finish up here because I just – I don't love their roster. I think the the defense is great, yes, but I think other than Bradley, they just don't have a lot of – that. you know, Trey Polium, I guess, is okay, but they just don't have a lot that scares me offensively. Yeah, they need it. They just need another – like Bradley would be great as like your your main scoring option uh, on the wing – and if they had like a guard who could – like a, a true point guard who could create and score, like that's really what they're missing. Well, think about and all those previous they, teams. They had Matt Mitchell and all these other guys coming the, – the Jordan yeah. Shackle, Jordan Shackles of the world. They had all these just huge key guys, and it just doesn't seem like uh, they have that second, third, fourth scoring option. Yeah. That really scares you. Yeah, I think the two more interesting teams – Colorado State, their defense is a little worrisome at times, but they're very well coached. Their offense is electric. You know, they have guys who can shoot all over the court. David Roddy's turning into a, a true NBA prospect. That kid could do it all, pass, shoot. He was a big high, high uh, football recruit at quarterback. Yeah. Roddy the body, they call him. So their offense is really intriguing. But I think the most – feel free to comment on that – but the most intriguing team in the Mountain West outside of Boise – is Wyoming, and they're also well-coached. A lot of great coaches in the Mountain West with Jeff Linder, but they have a true, like, high major post in Graham Ike who can go for 30 and 15 every night. Hunter Maldonado is just – you can't stop him with the Mark Jackson backdowns. Yep. And then they have shooters all around them. And then this team, there's just something about this team. I mean, they're pulling out the close game. They, they, Eight-day stretch, they just beat Colorado State in overtime. Boise State in a game that went down to the wire. Fresno by two. Utah State in overtime, all in eight days. So there seems to be something cooking up. They then Boise went down to the wire uh, in a game Boise pulled out in Boise. Um, but this team seems to have something cooking that feels like they're going to get in and then get a win or two. And they're, they're going to be a tough matchup for whoever gets them. Any thoughts on the pokes? Oh, yeah. I mean, isn't uh, Maldonado and EK, I think, the highest scoring duo in the country? Yeah, uh, when you put them together, they're over 40 points a game uh, combined. And EK is just uh, – I've seen him play twice in person now. He's just uh, impossible to guard, and he just lowers that shoulder, and he's just impossible to guard. He gets so many free throws. I think he leads the nation in fouls drawn. And especially at home, uh, he just gets so many free throws. Them as a team, for whatever reason, are just shooting so many free throws at home. So I do worry a little bit about Wyoming when they get in the tournament, when the games are officiated differently. Uh, if he's a guy that uh, if, if you know EK gets into foul trouble, they're they're a totally different team. And so, oh yeah, I I, I do wonder about that. Uh, you know, and, and he had the two quick fouls against Utah State and didn't play for much of the half. And I know they were able to survive that, but uh, he he just is such a physical guy where he just when he's posting those guys up, you get a team that just takes three or four charges on them, and and they're a totally different team. So that would be my one concern with Wyoming. I, I totally agree. Jeff Linder's doing an amazing job. I mean, I, probably at the end of this year, he's gonna you're gonna hear his name out there for some other jobs. Uh, I wonder how long he'll stay at Wyoming. But, yeah, yeah. Maldonado is a great player and what he can do in, in the paint posting up. And then you throw Jeffries and some of the other shooters they have out there. Uh, yeah, they're very, very impressive, and they're they're legit. Um, but uh, and, and they play really well at home, too. So, yeah, Wyoming is, you know, tied there at 9-1 and one with Boise. And they, I don't see a lot of potential losses left on their schedule. I mean, they do go to Colorado State, um, and they have San Diego State at home. But other than that, uh, I mean, they, they still got San Jose and New Mexico and Air Force and UNLV. And, I mean, there's a lot of games, win, wins left on, you know, Wyoming's schedule. So if you're looking at Wyoming and Boise going down to the wire here, I would maybe give, just because of the schedule, the slight edge to, to Wyoming. But I, I like Colorado State, too. What, Roddy, you have 29 the other night against Nevada. And uh, it was just so impressive what he can do on the outside. I'm looking forward Sunday 
here in a couple of days, Super Bowl Sunday, uh, Colorado State will be here in Boise. So that'll be really exciting to see his progression in person. I've seen him play, obviously, the last couple of years. And, um, yeah, they're, they're an interesting team because you, you look at Colorado State and, and you look at those guards with uh, Stevens and Moore, and I think Moore had 20-something points in their last game. He's finally getting it going a little bit more yeah. offensively. And, um, you know, they, they obviously got blown out by San Diego State the first time uh, and then had that little blip. I don't know what happened in that game where – well, I do know what happened. Uh, oh, we're still not over that. Bri- I minus two and a half. Oh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I was going to say that Bryce Hamilton had uh, 45 points when UNLV went in there and crushed oh, him yeah. in that game. Uh, and so I know that's a little scary for Boise fans tomorrow night thinking about him dropping 45. But uh, other than that, and then the Wyoming game where if he makes the other free throw, uh, yeah, they win that one uh, up in Wyoming. So, yeah, they're a great team. They're, they're certainly one of the top teams in the league, um, you know, held on against San Diego State. But, uh, no, I'm very impressed with Colorado State. Uh, what they're doing, getting all, you know, bringing all five guys back like they have. I think, uh, you know, obviously Coach Medved's done a heck of a job there too. And, you know, you look at their schedule, they got they got Fresno tomorrow night and then they got Boise State twice and they've still got, again, you know, Wyoming and they have to go to Utah State as well. So, yeah, I, I like Colorado State a lot. I certainly think they're, again, a veteran team, a uh, team that returns all their starters. Uh, they're not going to get uh, spooked by any atmosphere or, uh, you know, clutch spots. So, uh, as you saw at Wyoming. So, I, I think that they're a very dangerous team. I would still – Probably rank them Wyoming slightly ahead of Boise and then Colorado State third and then San Diego State fourth. But as you said, I mean, Utah State, they've been coming on strong. What They had won five in a row, I think, before they lost at Wyoming. They don't have that Sam Merrill, Nemesh Kata type player, Justin Beans, yep. a, Justin Beans kind of a good Robin, but I don't know if he's the, the Batman you want on your team. You know, he's a better secondary guy, but they're still a quality team. And, and even Fresno, I mean, uh, Orlando Robinson, a potential first-round draft pick is scary. Yep. and. Uh, they're top 50, like you said, as well. So I think the and they play great defense as well. So yeah, yeah. And they, those guards, uh, you know, I saw them in person. Those they, they would have beat Boise if not for Marcus Shaver hitting that shot with, you know, two seconds left to send it to overtime. So they they were, you know, basically had Boise State beaten. And so, uh, yeah, those those guards are impressive, too, um, with what they're doing. And, and so uh, Holland coming back healthy the last couple of games. So, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, when you have teams like UNLV and Nevada, I mean, Nevada is eighth place right now in the Mountain West, and you they've had some injuries. But you think about Cambridge, and what do you have, 36 the other night, uh, and then you have Sherfield and some of the other pieces that they have. I mean, Nevada is even a couple scary seven-footers. Yeah, some yeah. people would have said they, could, they had a chance to win the conference before yeah. the year. Yeah, they've definitely underachieved, but they've had some injuries and stuff. They had some bad losses early in the season. But, yeah, Will Baker, the Texas transfer, and then uh, Warren Washington and some of the other guys there uh, – Black Shears come in and played well lately for them, a transfer as well. So even a team like Nevada is a scary team. I don't think teams would would love to see matched up against in the Mountain West tournament. So, yeah, you're talking eight deep in terms of quality teams. And, you know, Leon Rice told me today, he said it's, it's, you know, he's been in the league 12 years or 11 years, I guess, in the league, 12 at Boise. But he said it's the best top to bottom he's ever seen in the league. I mean, you don't have the, the three or four teams in the 300s at Ken Palm just weighing down your schedule. Everybody's yep. playing everybody, and it's a quad one or quad two game every night. And it's it's been fun to see. And I – I, you know, I'm trying to think about the other conference tournaments, but uh, I can't imagine too many conference tournaments that uh, are going to have the potential to be as exciting and every game being so uh, competitive as you'll see in that Mountain West tournament down in Vegas next month. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for it. It's, it's got to be the most excited I've ever been for a Mountain West tournament uh, since, like, I think the last time I went to one when I was in Vegas out there when I think for that drop, dropped like 50 um, on UNLV. It was like a really good UNLV team. Isn't that the best, right. though? You have the Pac-12 tournament. You have the yep. WCC, the Mountain West. I think the uh, Big West is even back there now. I mean, there's four or five conference tournaments going on at the same time. You can bounce back and forth. And that, that conference tournament week in Vegas might be as good as it gets. 
Yep. Uh, well, we'll close with this. Boise, Colorado State. I mean, Boise does have UNLV first, but uh, Sunday, be on national TV. If you're tired of Super Bowl coverage by Sunday, as I know I will be, make sure you check out that game. These are two what I think are going to be tournament teams. I think the simplified what's going to happen is Boise's going to win at home. And I think Boise actually matches up pretty well with Colorado State because they can switch on defense. And that's one of the things that Colorado State really gives problems to other teams. They have these guys. And everyone can shoot. They can play five out. And I think Boise can have some success getting to the rim against them. Um, I think the way that it'll play out is Boise probably wins at home on Sunday. Probably be around like a five, six-point favorite. And then Colorado State will probably get them back end of the year at home probably needing that game more than Boise to get into the tournament or yeah. improve their resume, I should say. I think that's how it plays out. But just um, for anyone watching Boise, what is the one key when you're watching them that, okay, if this is going well, um, then I know that we're in good shape. Is it shaver hitting shots? Is it uh, – because you know the defense is going to be there. But what is like the one thing that you say, okay, if this is going well – um, then I know we're in good shape. Well, I would say one thing just in general is they got to keep the big guy or Moose out of foul trouble. I mean, the last five games, he has more fouls than points. And this is a guy that against Utah State had 22 and 19 uh, a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, he can be a dominant big man. You know, he's got 19 fouls and I think 17 points the last five games. So, some have been dumb fouls. Some have been uh, tacky fouls, uh, you know, questionable fouls, whatever. But fouls are fouls. So, he's only playing like 20 minutes a game. And so, uh, in these games moving forward, uh, you know, he's got to be the rim protector. He's got to be the, the – you know, he's an amazing rebounder. Some of the rebounds he's, – he's got two games this year already with at least 10 offensive rebounds himself. And so, I mean, he, he's got to be on the floor for them. If, if Malad, when Marlott and Armouche is on the floor, everybody talks about Acott and Shaver and Degenhart and all these guards. But, I mean, they, they really do rely on the big man in the middle, uh, Malad and Armouche. And so he's not the best scorer. He's, he doesn't have a lot of touch around the basket, but he gets a lot of his you know, dunks and in layups or a lot of his points. But he's just such so important in terms of rebounding, both on the offensive and defensive end, as well as uh, just his defensive presence uh, in the middle of the paint. And so if he can stay out of foul trouble and stay on the floor, I think that's a huge key moving forward for Boise State. And then one last question, because every fan base looks at things differently. And um, so I, you have that perspective. I don't. So you can speak for yourself or Boise fans in general. Would you give up a potential Mountain West Conference Championship this year for just one win in the NCAA tournament? Right? No, no doubt about it. Cut you off right there. Yeah, they're 0-7 all time. They've never won a game in the tournament. If they lose out and get second place in the Mountain West but go on and be a 10 seed and, and get a win in the first round, it would be, you know, the, the greatest win in school history because it's never happened. So, yeah, the Mountain West title would be great. They'd love to cut down the nets at home and, and uh, you know, do that whole thing and have the trophy. That'd be great. But uh, this team has never advanced. And as I said, in Leon Rice's 12 years there, they've only been there twice, and it was both first – they had to play in the first four – both times. Remember that uh, crime in 2015, they had to play Dayton in Dayton and lost yep. uh, on a one, uh, one point uh, when no foul was called at the end of the game. And so um, they're just, they just want to get back. This fan base just wants this team to be, get back to the tournament. So uh, I think getting to the tournament would be the first step, but if they were able to win a game, um, it would be the, the biggest moment in the history of this program, no matter who they beat. And so I think that would certainly be the, the choice if those were the two. Yeah, I was I was referring to conference tournament, and but okay. I knew that that was going to be the answer, and I assume. And I would probably say the same way. I would probably say the same way because conference tournament, they, they've actually played very poorly in that tournament as well. They've only made the semifinals twice, I think. They've never played in the title game. Um, so they've, they've, they've performed very poorly. Their record in the quarterfinals down there is not very good. They end up – they're the two or three seed a lot, and they play a hot six or seven seed, and they've gotten upset 
in the quarterfinals numerous times in the tournament. So, yeah, that, that has not gone well, and so certainly they would like to make some damage there. But uh, as I said, any scenario, whatever it is, from now till the bracket comes out, I think they would take winning a game in the, in the field of 68 over anything else. Yeah, I was going to say, too, I think that the team that wins the Mountain West Conference tournament might decrease their chances – in the first round, you're playing on Thursday. Like, it's going to be a goal. You're going to have to go through some good teams on back-to-back-to-back days to win that conference tournament. It's going to be a, a grind to get there. So maybe you're, you know, if you're locked in, you're better off, hey, I'm, I'll duck out on Saturday and get ready for the first round. lot to come in the Mountain West. You can follow all things Boise Mountain West on Twitter at BJ Reigns. We might have them on before the Mountain West tournament again. I, I'm just so excited about this conference, and I hope that they get as many teams in as possible over some of these these ACC frauds that are just middling. <laughs> um, so we'll see how it plays out. I hope there's not – I hope that just like the top four at least don't get – like I want Colorado State, Wyoming, Boise State, um, and, and, you know, you can put San Diego State in there. I won't miss them not watching them play if they don't get in. Um, but at least give me those three in the tournament. I think they're really exciting teams, too, to watch. So, um, thanks for for joining us. Any uh, final last words? No, I just – I would agree with you. Those are fun teams to watch, and I think they – all three of those teams would be, like, darlings of the country if all of them got in and could win a game or two with the way they play and the way that they're not, you know, name programs, so to speak, or blue bloods or whatever. I think any three of those could be sleepers. It would be fun to root for. And, and, uh, yeah, it should be a lot of fun, man. I'd be happy to come on before the tournament if you want to do it again. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Enjoy your weekend, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks again. No problem, man. Thanks. All right. Thanks, as always, to BJ for joining me. Thanks to Colin for checking in. Hopefully he gives us another winner. Thanks to the three-man weave for the Friday night six-pack. And thanks to BJ Reigns for talking some Mountain West. Great episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Leave a five-star review. We'll do giveaways next week. They really help us out. Appreciate you guys listening. Let's keep it rolling through March. Let's have a great weekend. Make sure you download the award-winning Action Network app. Check out content on actionnetwork.com. We'll be back on Monday. Myself, BJ, Mike Calabrese, three-man weave. We'll be back on Wednesday, and then we'll be here same time next week for the weekend betting preview. Also, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, Saturday morning. Big Bets on Campus Live on Twitter. Make sure you check us out there. We'll go over the Saturday card, myself, and the three-man weave. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Cheers.